We hear in the Gospel of Luke, they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Come join us today on The Way with DJ. Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to the podcast On The Way with DJ. Um, I had some weeks off. We had some vacation time. Uh, My grandchildren were in, three of my grandchildren out of the four, uh, and we did everything that was on their list to do. So we had 15 things that they wanted to do, and we took care of at least 12 of them, some of them even a couple times. So um, it was a good, good time, and this is really a good time, as I've mentioned before, to kind of, you know, spend time with family and to kind of recharge our uh, batteries as we go into the school year for them and school year for us and another year or another academic year, at least, of ministry. So today, what I'd like to do is continue that series that I had begun earlier about misconceptions about the various sacraments. We have a podcast, uh, Misconceptions About Baptism and Misconceptions About Confirmation. And so today, uh, we're going to be talking about misconceptions about the third sacrament of initiation in the church, which is the sacrament of the Eucharist. And then we'll continue on with the other four sacraments um, at a later date. So, first of all, um, when we talk about the Eucharist, the Eucharist does get a lot of attention today in the, in the press and, and all over. And it, it should, because the Eucharist, the sacrament of the Eucharist, is the source and summit of our Catholic faith. Whenever I present the Catholic uh, teaching on the sacraments, especially to young people, but also to adults, I always say that if you imagine the spokes of a wheel... All of those sacraments are the sacraments that kind of branch off from the Eucharist. So the Eucharist is at the hub. It's at the center of our faith life, the center of the wheel. And all the other sacraments flow and forms flow from the basics of our Catholic faith. So all of those sacraments flow from that. But like the other six sacraments, there are some misconceptions when it comes to, you know, both the theology of the sacrament of the Eucharist and even how the sacrament is practiced or carried out in the everyday life of a Catholic. So I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about some of those things. Uh, First of all, we'll talk about some of the doctrinal things. We'll talk about the real presence talk about the, the, the symbolism or the, the way that the Eucharist is kind of described as a memorial, as a sacrifice, or as a meal, and then maybe talk a little bit about some of the practical points as well. So let's go ahead and talk about the real presence. The real presence is a doctrine of the church uh, that says that the bread and wine that are the elements that are used in the Eucharistic celebration those elements are changed, changed into the body and blood of Jesus through the power conferred on the priest by virtue of his ordination. So those Eucharistic elements and the celebration are not just a symbol or a sign or any kind of you know recreation of something that happened at the Last Supper, but they are truly the body and blood, um, and it remains the body and blood of Jesus even after the Mass is complete. 
So the priest, um, in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, is given this power to change the bread and wine, which are just ordinary elements. You know, they're bread and wine. It's unleavened bread and wine. And it's changed into something extraordinary. And it's done by virtue of his ordination. Now, the ordination is conferred on this man, who is the priest, by the bishop, who are the direct successors in the church to the apostles. So the apostles were the ones that were sitting around that last supper that Jesus, that Jesus took care of um, on the night before he suffered. And they were firsthand witnesses to this first Eucharistic celebration. And it was at that last supper, at that supper, that Jesus gave them the power to go ahead and do that. He said that, sitting at that table with those men, he said to them, do this in memory of me. And so those first apostles were, were the bishops, were the bishops. And so those bishops had bishops that succeeded them and then so on through the priesthood that we celebrate here, to, that we celebrate today. And so that priesthood is conferred by those bishops as successors of the apostles and which allows the priest to celebrate the mass every time that we come together for the Eucharist. So the fancy term that is used to explain the change that occurs from those ordinary elements into the extraordinary elements of the body and blood of Christ is transubstantiation. So if you ever hear that word, transubstantiation, that's what the term is. It is a change. It's a change from the ordinary into the extraordinary. Now, does do the elements physically change? No, they still look like bread. They still look. They still taste like wine, but it is through that power of the priest that those elements are changed into that extraordinary thing—the body and blood of Christ. So, they still look like bread and wine, but because of the words of institution, when he says, the priest says, "This is my body, this is my blood," the substance of those elements are changed. Now, this belief is so central to the Catholic faith that a person cannot call themselves a Catholic without believing it. And I know that there are a lot of people today that have a difficult time with this, but this is something that people have to wrestle with. And if they don't believe in that real presence, and we see, you know, surveys all over the all over the place, you know, 27% is a number that I've heard bantered about and so on that don't believe in this doctrine of the real presence. You know, they believe that it's just, you know, the priest up there just recreating the event of the Last Supper. And that is not what it is. It is a change, a substance, substantive change of that bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. And so I can go on and on and on about the doctrine of the real presence, but that's really what it is. And, and it is a misconception about the sacrament of the Eucharist, you know, because there are other Christian faiths, you know, Lutherans and others that maybe would have a meal where, you know, bread is present and wine is present and, and so on. Um, and they, they might say those words and they might do those things, but it is not the same as the power of the priesthood of the, of the successor, successors of the apostles, you know, going through the apostolic succession 
Um, you know, it is that by that power that they are able to do that. Now, the next thing I'd like to talk about a little bit as far as theology goes is whether or not the Eucharist is a memorial, whether it is a sacrifice, or was it whether or not it's a meal. And, um, you know, over the time, um, since Vatican II pretty much, you know, all, all of these elements or all of these parts of theology have been kind of expounded upon. But I would like to posit to all of you today that, you know, it is actually all three. It is a memorial, it is a sacrifice, and it is a meal. So the Eucharistic celebration or the Mass has elements of each of these types contained within it. You know, first let's talk a little bit about the memorial. You know, it is a memorial because we are making a remembrance of what Jesus did at the Last Supper come alive for us today. Um, it's reminiscent of the Jewish Seder meal, where the Passover event that occurs at a Jewish Seder meal is made alive again through the faithful's participation in that Seder. Um, so it's not just you know saying the words, it's not just following the procedures, it is making that event alive again, which is important. But it's also important to remember you know that the mass that is occurring when we sit in church and the and the Eucharistic, Eucharistic celebration is occurring, you know, there is a Eucharistic celebration that is occurring up in heaven, you know, and so this is something that is really important that we do have this remembrance of what Jesus did, but it's not just something simple, you know, simple of recreating a Jewish Seder or recreating what happened at the Last Supper. It's not something, uh, simply a remembrance of something that happened a long time ago. It's a remembrance so that the experience can be made alive again to the people who participate today. So the Mass is a memorial because we just don't remember what Jesus did over 2,000 years ago. We make it alive for us here today. The second part is the Eucharist as a sacrifice because it is a sacrifice. We are taking common elements of bread and wine, changing them into the body and blood of Christ through the power of the priest, and it is actually sometimes called an unbloodied sacrifice. This is what Jesus did on the night before he suffered, and he calls each of us to suffer alongside of him. It is a sacrifice. Jesus is sacrificing himself for us, remembering his sacrifice of his very life and asking us to remember that. Do this in memory of me. Do this in memory of me. And then finally, it is a meal because it is at the physical properties of a meal. You know, we have bread and wine or food and drink. We come to the table, which is an altar, to participate and partake of this meal. And we're given spiritual food. So it's not physical food so much as it is spiritual food for our journey through life so that we're built up and renewed in spirit to live our everyday lives according to God's will. But we can't take any of these three things, memorial, sacrifice, and meal, and say, well, the Eucharist is one of those, because it has parts of all of them together. And maybe that's part of the reason why the Eucharist is such a powerful thing, because it does have the memorial that we are creating and that we are partaking of again as the as the Last Supper. It is the sacrifice and the, the call to each of us to sacrifice as well, just as Jesus did on the cross. 
And then it is the meal, you know, something tangible that we can see, especially maybe for children, you know, to be able to kind of introduce them to the, what the power and the, and the glory of the Eucharist is all about. So those are the two main theological um, points that I wanted to make today. But th let's get into some practical things, you know, some practical things. First of all, to participate in the most pure way in a Eucharist, in the Eucharistic celebration, a person needs to be what is called in the state of grace in order to receive the Eucharist. And it goes to the whole idea of, again, the Eucharist being the source and summit of our faith. And because of its importance and the fact that we are connected in an intimate way to Jesus, you know, when we receive the body and blood of Jesus, we're connected to him in an intimate way. And so it's important for us to be as close to him as we possibly can. So when we're in a state of sin, especially if we're in a state of serious sin, we're separated from him. So by participating in that Eucharist, when we are in a state of sin, it's, it, it, it is kind of, it is, it, you know, it's kind of a, a, an affront to what Jesus really did for us and what Jesus is trying to have for us and, and gift us with. And so it's important that we use the sacrament of reconciliation to remove this separation and are therefore returned to that state of grace to be reconciled with Jesus to where he is. So especially if a person is in a serious state of sin, they should receive the sacrament of reconciliation before receiving Eucharist. Now, if we are in a situation where we have, you know, a bunch of venial sins or not so much serious sins, you know, there is an opportunity for us to celebrate and to be part of the Eucharist. And if we remember the parts of the Mass, if you go to the parts of the Mass, the penitential rite is a penitential rite. It is a forgiveness of sins, but it's not a forgiveness of serious sin. So we have to remember that if we are in a state of serious sin, if we are not in a state of grace, to receive that sacrament of reconciliation before receiving the Eucharist. Second, it's also important to remember that every piece of the host or every sip of precious blood is the whole. So receiving only the host or receiving only the precious blood is like receiving the whole. So it's not necessary so much to receive the precious blood as well as the host. So during our COVID time, you know, it took a while for the precious blood to be brought back into um, into the Eucharist, into the liturgy. Now, receiving under both species, the body and the blood, that's what we call it, species, the body and blood, does allow for the communicant, the person receiving communion, to participate in a fuller way, for sure. But people always, you know, you know, people always ask me, you know, should I receive from the cup, especially now that COVID is kind of waning and, and it's kind of over, you know, is it is it really healthy for me for that to do that? Should I receive from the cup if I do not wish? Or some might even ask, you know, what if I'm allergic to bread? What if I'm allergic to the elements of the host? Should I receive then with the cup? You know, so our response is the same in, in each of those situations. So by receiving only the host or only the precious blood, you are receiving the whole. And so the church, you know, has also provided for gluten-free hosts, which are made with the minimum amount to be considered unleavened bread. So using the same elements that the church requires, you know, we do have gluten-free options as well. 
then um, there another practical point um, is that you know what do we do about people for example who are very sick or are dying and can't swallow or someone you know who is young and, and you know can't sip precious blood or someone who suffers from alcoholism and you know wouldn't be able to, to sip the precious blood it's important to remember that we do have that special right for the people that are you know going into the final stages of their life transitioning you know we have a special right it's called viaticum and it's the for those people who are dying that can so that they can receive the eucharist even if they're unable to swallow so it goes back to what i was just saying earlier that a small piece or even a drop of the precious blood can be placed on the conscious person's tongue and so they are encouraged, you know, people who are dying are encouraged to participate in this con continuous communion or viaticum when they are dying. Um, these peop faithful people should be receiving spiritual food for the journey that they're now entering into to eternal life. And so even receiving just a small piece of the host on the tongue would provide this food for the journey, so to speak. And given the reverence afforded the real presence, the, 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 body, the body of Jesus, it's reserved in a Catholic church in a container, and that container is called the tabernacle. Now, tabernacle is similar to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the vessel that housed the Ten Commandments in the Jewish faith. And so to note the presence of the Eucharist, a candle, which is called a sanctuary lamp, is placed outside of the tabernacle in Catholic churches. And when that candle is lit, we know as the faithful that the Eucharist is present in that tabernacle. This is one of the places, one of the places that Jesus himself is present within the church, especially in the tabernacle. That's why there is such a, a, a movement on to have tabernacles and churches placed either like right behind the altar or right next to the altar so that people can understand that that is the focal point of one of the focal points of the the presence of Jesus himself in that church. The others are obviously the altar, the ambo, the cross, the priest himself, and also the people. But that that's subject for theology discussion at a later time. So we can see the importance of the Eucharist in the Catholic faith. And it's really sad um, when people don't take that as seriously as they should. And I think, it, you know, th again, this is kind of a personal commentary, but I think it's important that as faithful Catholics that understand this, and this is one of the reasons why I did this particular podcast, it's important that we go and we educate, we catechize people about this importance and especially the young, to really get them to understand that it's not just a symbol, it's not just a sign, that it really truly is the body and blood of Jesus. And hopefully, if they take that with them, they will you know, show that, it, that they will see that it is truly an important thing in our faith, an important part of being Catholic. And it's, it's sad that others um, out in the secular world sometimes even in the political arena, don't take that as seriously as they need to. And some of these teachings that the church has, they don't take it as seriously as well. 
And so that obviously might be a subject for another podcast as well. Um, But it is so, so important that hopefully maybe today I've kind of provided you with some of the misconceptions, some of the practical points that are centered on the sacrament of the Eucharist. And hopefully they've been cleared up a little bit and maybe might have spurred some other questions that you might have in your mind. And so by all means, you know, in the comments section or through email at deekjaji.com or deekjaji at gmail.com. Sorry about that. Um, You can go ahead and reach out to me and I would certainly, certainly be willing to answer those concerns and those questions. So again, um, thank you for listening to my little bit longer than normal podcast here today. And may God continue to hold all of you in the palm of his hand. And may the Eucharist, the spiritual food that we receive and that we can receive every single day if we'd like, always carry us on the journey of our faith into close relationship with Christ, who is the source and summit of our faith. 